Captain Zetos? In the flesh, ma'am. My senses have been triggered by your new credit card application. <gasps> what? I didn't even apply for one. Yes, but someone else did using your name. You might not know that you've fallen prey to fraud and scams, but Captain Zetos will alert you. Safeguard yourself today with Zetos Secure ID. Subscribe for only nine ringgit ninety cent a month at zetoscredit.com.my. Here, I've got your bank on the line for you. Oh, what would I do without you, Captain Zetos? This is a download from BFM eighty nine point nine, the business station. BFM eighty nine point nine is celebrating the International Day of Happiness, presented by UEM Sunrise. It's Fun Friday, and it's also International Day of Happiness. So let's talk about machines. They're everywhere, making our lives easier, producing things, doing things, powering our lights, and cooling our homes, cooking our food. And after listening to MSP's Matt Amatech, they might occasionally scare us a bit. But do we ever wonder what the machines think of it all? Happy machines, Matt? Hey, Jeff. No. I know that happiness might not be the most obvious thing to be talking about today, but you know it's actually pretty crucial.、Uh, on last week's show, we talked about stress and the hope that、uh, one day we'll be able to to cure it. And you know we are living through a very stressful period at the moment. A lot of people around the world are experiencing some kind of、uh, lockdown. Movement and liberties are somewhat curtailed. But that's all the more reason to, you know, look for that happiness where you can find it.、Uh, you know, maybe that's like me deciding to watch all ten seasons of Friends all over again, or you know, getting outside into the 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 garden to do a bit of exercise while still maintaining that sense of social distance. And how does that come back to machines? Well, as you said, today is、uh, International Day of Happiness, and、uh, as you'll know if you've been listening to、uh, BFM's programming today, the theme is happier together. Now you can look at that in a few ways.、Uh, obviously, you can't go out and be happier together with people in that sense, but you can be happier with your family, spending that quality time with them. You know that time that you always said that you wanted to, but obviously that's not the direction that we're taking today. I actually want to look at humans and machines and ask how we can be happier together. But do we care what machines think, especially now? Well, we'll get to the, the the machine part shortly. You know, one of the the things that we've covered many times on the show is our frustration with machines. So, while I was preparing for this show, pretty much everything stopped working. The internet slowed down completely.、Uh, so the the app that I use for dictating notes stopped working. I had calls and messages piling up, and at the same time, my cloud services were grinding to a halt. So you get that sense of, you know, that growing sensation of frustration and pressure.、Uh, at the same time, I had two air conditioning units not working. You know, they were supposed to be serviced the day that the shutdown order came into force. So you know, you just. Have all of these things suddenly hit you at once? Am I supposed to say that's terrible? No, you're actually supposed to say. How amazing! You've got a machine that types what you say. You've got machines that cool you down. You know you can instantly collaborate on work with clients and colleagues using a really, really complex system of machines. You know where once you had to travel to a special location to go and watch a movie,、uh, 
maybe you do that in or on a machine, but most probably, you know, you walk there using your your feet. Um, but now you can watch pretty much anything you want anytime at a moment's notice. So whatever else is going on around us right now, we still live in this amazing time. Then why do we feel such frustration? Well, again, nothing that we haven't said on the show before. Maybe it's partly due to complexity. You know, in the good old days, um, most machines you could fix with a, a good kick or a whack with a hammer. Um, you know, throughout that evolution of machinery from the plow to the steam engine to even things like, you know, um, TVs, early TVs and fridges, you still had that connection to the machine. You could tinker with it. You could fix it. If you were of a mind, you could possibly even improve it. And those machines lasted a long time. They were valuable in lots of different ways, uh, not just from the, the cost they had, but we valued them because of that important place they occupied in our lives. But now everything is microprocessor controlled and you need kind of multiple postgraduate degrees to fix anything. And that's changed our relationship with the things we own. I mean, obviously, this is just my opinion. But yes, um, you know, we have all of these incredible machines, but how many of them are actually repairable? Uh, I bought a new washing machine a couple of years ago because it was cheaper than repairing it. Uh, we all know that computer and phone repairs can cost as much or more than buying a new one, especially as the new one is often cheaper than the price you paid for the one that you actually have now. So whether this is deliberate or not, we've been conditioned to treat a lot of machines as being disposable. We value what they do rather than what they are. Um, for example, I mean, how many times have you spoken to someone who says, oh, I really love my phone, but the next time you see them, they've got a new phone. So where did that phone that they really love go? Where's, where's it gone to? It's probably gone into a landfill. And why does that bring us to happiness and frustration? Because I think manufacturers give us these really high expectations. I mean, think back to any ad that you've seen about how the, the, the camera on your phone can work. How many of your attempts to get that perfectly backlit skate part action shot have come, come out like the ones in the ad? I imagine none. Um, you know, often the the things we love about those machines is not actually the machine itself. You know, it's when your phone screen freezes, it's not because the internet has paused. Everything is an intermediary now. Uh, you've got the phone hardware, the phone software, you've got the app, you've got the internet connection, you've got the ecosystem that supports that, then you've got all the web architecture. So, that's just to send the message out. Then it has to reverse to deliver all the information that then gets translated back to your screen. So the real miracle is that things work so well most of the time? Yeah, I mean, the end of the, the world for me is the idea of my car breaking down by the side of the road. Because when I was a kid, that's just what cars did. And the memory of that still gets me stressed now. But how many of us have recently experienced a proper mechanical breakdown on a car? When we do, it's usually something minor like, you know, the, the, the battery's gone flat or a worn out rubber seal somewhere as means fluid is spraying. Most likely when we have some kind of breakdown, it's actually because we hit a pothole at 120 kilometers an hour and shook something loose. And obviously we're never going to admit that to anyone, but 
more than that, I think we're slightly scared of a lot of our machines now. This is supposed to be the happiness show. Well, bear with me. I mean, how often have you tried to get something to work? You couldn't, and then you pass it on to someone else, and it suddenly and immediately works perfectly. Actually, people have done that to me many times, and surprisingly, all I needed to do is just to walk up and to see what the issue is, and it just worked. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, the... That person's then thinking, was it broken? Was it me? You know, we already feel that our relationship is not a relationship of equals. And, you know, I know we can't just magic an understanding of how these machines work. But now is really a good time to sit back and make the most of those devices, of those gadgets, of those machines, and actually enjoy them. Now you're going new age again, like last week. Well, you know, I'm not calling it a silver lining or anything like that, but COVID is forcing us to re-examine our behaviour. And part of that re-examination is also in our relationship with stuff. So now is the time to appreciate that stuff. So I was messaging a friend about work a day or two back. I'm not going to name any names, but hey joe if you're listening she said she'd get back to me after she cooked her lunch and that was really so refreshing i thought that was great i mean imagine a year ago you message someone in the middle of the day and ask them to send you a file you expect it to jump into your inbox within minutes if not seconds of getting that request now my friend's at home she's working she's cooking a lunch did my world end because I had to wait an hour for her to, to finish cooking and eat? No, of course not. That's approximately three episodes of Friends. Uh, well, yeah, I was on season four when we did last week's show. Um, now I'm up to season eight. But um, going back to the point, you know, my, my friend was enjoying being at home. She was enjoying being able to, to cook for herself at lunchtime. Most of us, you know, at lunchtime, we grab something that's quick and probably not as healthy as it could be. And then we tend to eat it at a run. And I do know that not everyone is able to work from home during this period. I know that not everybody is lucky enough to get paid leave. Uh, and I really do appreciate that it just adds to the stress of these uncertain times. But it makes it even more important to, you know, enjoy that toaster or the your TV or that weird Darth Vader toy you bought from a street hawker and secretly think might be slightly radioactive. <laughs> I'm not going to even to think about that last comment. Let's go back to something you said earlier when you were preparing for this show and everything was going wrong. How chilled were you? I was absolutely insane with anger. Um, if I hadn't actually been alone at that time, the, the world would have seen the flaming rage monster that I turned into. But the thing is, what did I then do to get over it? I used exactly the same machines and systems and networks that were making me angry to watch a video from a, a camera a man in Philadelphia had uh, placed, uh, no, Pennsylvania rather, had placed by a fallen log across a stream. So yes, I know I'm being new age again, but I spent five minutes watching grizzly bears, pumas, bobcats, raccoons, squirrels, porcupines, beavers, and all sorts of rodents and birds using that tree trunk as a highway, a meeting place, a drinking spot and a place to, to socialise. But the thing is, it was me that made myself upset, but I used the machines to make myself happier. So like I said, you know, use this time to enjoy that stuff. 
play your guitar or your didgeridoo, cook, uh, play the latest installment of Doom, which we're going to talk about in Geeks, uh, even vacuum if that's your thing. You know, these machines were designed to make life better. So now's the time to remember and actually make the most of them. All right, after the break, what about the machines? Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. Billions from me, BFM 89.9, the business station. Welcome back. It is Fun Friday with me, Jeff Sandro, together with Culture Pop's Matt Amatish. It is International Day of Happiness. Now, before the break, MSP delivered the goods on machines and why they should make us happy. But Matt, what do the machines think of it all? Do we really want a world full of happy machines? Well, that's the thing, isn't it? You know, regular listeners may remember a, a series of shows that we did a couple of years back on artificial intelligence, robots, and whether or not they would become sentient. We're still debating whether any machines have truly passed that Turing test. But we do now have machines that can learn from each other. They can actually stimulate each other to think and problem solve beyond their programming parameters. But one of the complications is what the nature of any emerging computer consciousness might actually be or what it might look like. The idea of a parallel species? Yeah, at the moment, you know, we struggle with translating the thought processes of those very complex uh, AIs. Uh, there's that weird possibility that we're creating a species that will be so distinct from us that our connection and communication points are actually going to be very small. Uh, I think we've used this uh, a few times as an example on the show. It's the AI that was able to predict from uh, electrocardiogram data which um, heart patients might die within a 12-month period. And it actually predicted with a high statistical accuracy. Obviously, that's with... Uh, uh, historical data, it wasn't with patients who were actually, you know, still had any risk of dying. Um, but the machine wasn't able to tell us what it was in the data that indicated those people were more likely to die. Because to cardiologists, all of those ECG reports appeared to be normal. But the machine wasn't able to explain its thought process to us or communicate what it had actually picked up and what it was looking for. Isn't that just a limit of programming? Well, true. I mean, machines will get better at explaining their reasoning to us. But even as they do that, the actual mechanics of their thought process are becoming increasingly opaque. Uh, you know, in the future, their processes may be too complex for us to understand. I mean, we said before the break, most of us don't understand the devices that we have now. So we're in the process of creating this new species that is totally unlike us. And I don't want to get into, you know, which one's superior or inferior, because I don't think that's really relevant. Um, machines are already better at us than many things. Uh, they will become better at us at many more things. But we're still better than them at an awful lot of things as well. You know, uh, we haven't been able to replicate the raw power of a human brain in a machine. Uh, we can sit there and enjoy toast or sit there and enjoy playing guitar. But we do have to get ready for this future where the machines will divert from our logic paths and our reasoning methods even further. And we have to decide on the kind of personality the, those machines will have and whether we allow them to develop this measure of self-awareness. What do you mean by personality? Well, I, I guess two main things, really. Um, so there's independent personality, which we'll deal with 
towards the end of the show. That's more to do with sentience and uh, uh, who or what the machine might be as a being. But for the time being, most of us um, deal with machines that have a curated personality. Like Alexa or Siri? Uh, precisely. You know, uh, a lot of the machines we deal with are starting to talk, um, not just in that please insert coin kind of way, um, but actually interacting with us and responding to commands. Um, manufacturers, of course, are keen to make their individual systems unique and identifiable, um, but also they try and make uh, something that is for us that it, it's relatable and not too overtly machine-like. Well, we're talking about simulated happiness then. Uh, as anyone who's laughed at their boss's jokes or you laughing at my jokes will know, happiness isn't just something that machines simulate. Um, yes, uh, super happy machines do really freak us out. Uh, I, I like to use those AI text-to-speech uh, voice things to send people messages because you can play with the frequencies and the cadence of the voices to make them sound really happy. And it makes people extremely uncomfortable. You really don't have enough to do, do you? This is science. These people are my test subjects. They They may not have agreed to it. It may not be ethical but it is what it is uh, and it's the same thing with robots you know when we attempt to make them look human uh, human a lot of people actually find them frightening uh, we have that evolutionary response that survival mechanism that allows us to identify members of our species members of our tribe uh, and however realistic they are machines just don't give off the the right visual cues for us to be comfortable with them Essentially, when they smile, it, it looks wrong. Yeah, I mean, one of the best things that uh, Arnie did in the Terminator films was to develop that chilling smile. You know, his Terminator is at its least human when it's trying to be most human. And we see the same thing in the, the, the real-life androids that we create. They never frighten us as much as when they try to, to smile and be happy and be like us. A few years ago, I went to an exhibition of uh, robots and there was a very human realistic baby. Uh, and it was the most unpleasant thing in the entire exhibition because it was almost but just not quite right. It set off the emotional responses that you would have to, to a baby. But there was still this underlying feeling of, you know, kind of horror and revulsion. And I actually used that video I took of it a lot in my live talks because... It's a great example of the gulf between us and the machines. Mm -hmm. A lot of our interactions are with cloud-based machines, though. Robots are still a novelty more than the norm. Well, yeah. I mean, I wanted to, to give the robot example because it's easier to visualize. None of us can easily visualize what happens in the cloud. But you're right. Voice-activated machines are where we're experiencing most of these attempts at personality. So when you listen to a lot of the digital personal assistants, their voices often sound, you know, as though they're a bit bored. When my phone says, OK, Matt, it comes out as, OK, Matt. Obviously not quite as sarcastic as me, but it's almost like it's saying, I could be calculating the trajectory of an asteroid, but sure, I'll ask your wife if she wants French beans or broad beans. You know, their, their personalities have been damped down. Um, because just like we can tell from faces, most machines have voices that, again, don't quite pass that human Turing test. They trigger that idea, this is not a person. 
Well, yeah, we feel it. It's not even a, a conscious decision most of the time. You know, we even get it with those robocalls. You know instantly that it's a recorded message and not an actual person on the line because our brain is activating and saying, this is not a person you need to interact with. And also, you know, not all of us are happy all of the time. You don't want to, to say, oh, Alexa, schedule me a doctor's appointment. And then a super chipper Alexa replies that, hey, she'd love to. And she hopes you're having the most perfect day. Because at that point, you probably aren't. Whereas another person would probably pick up on the cues and modify the way they react to you. Yeah, because the cloud powering your virtual assistant doesn't have that ability to have empathy. So a neutral approach is the most obvious one to take. But we may be nearing that point where neutrality isn't a decision that we get to make. This is the sentient self-aware machines. Yeah, and a lot of scientists are actually divided on this. You know, will we ever be able to create machines that are truly self-aware? Or more likely, will really clever machines create even cleverer machines that become self-aware? Uh, this is where that stuff about divergent species comes in, because there's nothing to say that those sentient machines will experience any human-like emotions or feelings. What would make them happy? That is literally anyone's guess. You know, maybe they will be happy doing really complex, meaningful calculations and modeling and simulations. You know, maybe the pursuit of knowledge and information will be their bliss. And I can't believe I said that word. But I doubt that handling my messages about supermarket trips and vegetables is going to be enough for them. So we do have to prepare for these eventualities because these machines will be immensely powerful. I mean, they already are. But if they do make that leap or if we decide to let them make that leap into becoming self-aware, we have to think about where they're going to sit in our human-dominated society. You really don't worry about them taking over and eliminating all of us. No, because this is the happiness show. Um, we have to think uh, carefully about what rights we give them and what rights they might want. You know, will they want to uh, earn money like we do? Chances are probably not. But is it really a problem if they do? Uh, should they be owned by someone? Again, probably not. We will probably have to make decisions about uh, which systems are sentient and which aren't because a self-aware virtual assistant is probably going to be bored at the very least, if not downright disgruntled, just like human personal assistants are. So from that per perspective, we do want machines to be happy, whatever that means in you know within their own parameters. We want them to feel valued. We want to... For them to feel appreciated, you know, again, within uh, those constraints that matter to them. And not to be fixed with a kick or a hammer. Uh, exactly. You know, we have to avoid the idea that, that these are our machines, our servants, our slaves, and we definitely have to not hit them with hammers. Um, that's why awareness is the key. You know, whether it's Siri or Alexa or whatever assistant, they're just doing their thing. They're carrying out their programming. That's not actually a reason to abuse them, even if they aren't working as well as you want them to. But machines that are more than that, you know, we're going to have to treat them accordingly. 
we have to be prepared. We have to accommodate them. Will they ever be our friends, Matt? They're already my friends. Um, but we've, you know, we've already seen the rise of the emotional support robot. I mean, why do you think I say human-dominated society? Um, they've been working out very well, for example, for dementia sufferers, the, the emotional support robots. Uh, chatbots have also been trialed for their potential to give people that sense of uh, support and conversation. And that's even before we get to the, the weirdos who want to marry their... Uh, what should we call them, uh, romantic robots. Uh, I don't see real relationships between machines and people as being unlikely in the future. But I think that we have to bear in mind uh, that those machines may not want to have those relationships with us, that our thought processes may be too slow for them. We may find them too linear. And frankly, we might find them too inhuman. But we are going to need to accommodate each other. Um, we accommodate them, they accommodate us. And part and parcel of that is finding measures of happiness, I think, that suit everybody. There we have it. The happiness machine on uh, today's International Day of Happiness, answering the most pressing question we have for uh, today, which should machines be happy? Stay tuned. We'll be right back with the uh, Geek Squawks after this BFM 89.9. This International Day of Happiness special was brought to you by UEM Sunrise. Find your happy. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.